Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. It is one of the longest units of the national park system in the country. It, of course, is the Oregon National Historic Trail, which stretches more than 2,100 miles from Missouri to Oregon. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at the National Parks Traveler. Now, it's been estimated that between 1840 and 1860, some 300,000 to 400,000 men, women, and children embarked on the four-month-long trip to head to the West Coast. It was long, arduous, and deadly. Many died of cholera, conflict, and accidents. Today, there are places where you can still see the ruts these endless wagon trains made as they headed west from Missouri across Nebraska and Wyoming before the trail split in two, with one leg heading to Oregon and the other to California. There's a new book just out that can help you explore sections of the trail, or the entire trail if you have the time, and key points along the journey. It was written by Kay and David Scott, longtime National Park travelers and park lodging experts, and they're with us today to discuss this guidebook. We'll be back in a minute with Kay and David after a short break. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. Full of stunning photography and thought-provoking reads, Smoky's Life is a biannual magazine produced by Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall, and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park and online at smokiesinformation.org. Welcome back to The Traveler, Kane David. Thank you. Good to be with you again. Hey, you know, this is a great book. I mean, I love to travel. I love the West. And, and this points out a lot of the highlights along the way if you want to go off-road or, or even stay close to some of today's highways. But, you know, we're talking 2,100 miles or so. What intrigued you so much about the Oregon Trail that prompted you to write this book, Exploring the Oregon Trail, America's Historic Road Trip? It uh, actually occurred some time ago in in uh, 2010. We drove up the Blue Ridge Parkway. We live in South Georgia. We drove up the Blue Ridge Parkway in in, um, in Shenandoah National Park, and we were headed to my hometown in Rushville, Indiana, for my 50th high school reunion. Before we left, we decided that uh, the rest of the summer we would spend uh, following the Oregon Trail to the west and then uh, come back following the Lewis and Clark Trail back to uh, St. Louis, which we did. And we enjoyed that trip so much that uh, we took it again, just the Oregon Trail trip in uh, 2017, and we decided or thought about that time it might make a good book. And so we did it one more time, and uh, it's the best road trip 
uh, a person can take if they have three weeks to to drive and then get home, of course. Three we weeks actually, is a lot, a lot quicker than four months. <laughs> right. Yeah. We actually flew to Independence or St. Louis um, and then flew home from Portland, Oregon. So yeah, well, Those were in the second two trips. Right. That, but the right. first trip we drove from South Georgia to the West Coast and then came back uh, to South Georgia. We drove the whole way. But but what what grabbed you about the trail? I mean, I've I've been on it in 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 Wyoming, and you know, it the wind blows a lot, and you really got to go uh, out of your way to find places of, along the uh, the Oregon Trail. Of course, you know, Fort Laramie is is easy to reach, and Guernsey, where the ruts are, um, that I'm familiar with. You had to cross some remote stretches of America. We definitely did, and we pretty much stayed. On roads, we we didn't have an off-road vehicle, so we tried a little. We had a high clearance vehicle, a little off-roading, but but not a lot. So where we went, most cars could go. One one thing was when we were starting the trip, we we drove west on Highway 36 to St. Joe, and St. Joe was also a gateway along the Oregon Trail. A little later than Independence, but we stopped at the visitor center. We picked up some books, and they told us about and I can't remember her name now. A lady at the at the museum in uh, Saint Joe uh, that had written a book on the on part of the Oregon Trail called the Saint Joe Road. That was where uh, the road where uh, the pioneers left Saint Joe, crossed the Missouri, and then intersected with the main route that came from Independence. So we talked to her, and she said, what you need is a, a book by Greg Francois called The Oregon Trail Revisited. She said, that'll help you more than anything else along the route. So we picked that up at the museum in Independence, and uh, it, was a, it was a real benefit. It, it told us about where all the things were we would want to see and uh, how to drive. Now, it, 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 was, it was a great book, and that helped us on the trip a lot. And then we also, for our last trip, we had um, Francois's maps. He did detailed maps of where all the ruts and different uh, sites were, and that definitely helped us, too. So when you were going along the road, you could tell if the, if the trail was to the left or to the right. Mm-hmm. It didn't necessarily mean you could see it. And also uh, where it would cross the road, where you, then you would be more likely to be able to see the swale or, or the ruts of the of the trail. It's it's just terrific. I mean, they're all along the uh, the whole trip from Independence to Oregon City. There are things to see along the way. There are ruts. There are buildings. Uh, it, and unlike the Lewis and Clark Trail, where basically there's virtually nothing left since they traveled along, mostly along the rivers, uh, it, there are all kinds of things to see along the Oregon Trail, which may, makes, it, we thought, a, a much better road trip. Mm-hmm. And to think that you're standing in these ruts that were made hundreds of years ago and, and they're still there, it just uh, is really amazing. And there are wonderful museums. There are about three that are outstanding museums along the way. Um, there's one in Casper, one in uh, Baker, City. Baker City, Oregon, and then also in Mount Pelier, um, Idaho. Idaho. Uh-huh. 
they're just really good. It makes you feel like you're part of the trail. And the one in Independence is good also. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Right. Now, before we get into those museums and other sites along the way, if Francois did such a great job, why did you feel another book was needed? <laughs> well, Francois, <laughs> he's, he's dead. <laughs> and it, 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 our book is different than his. His, his is very detailed. And and he has routes on there that most people aren't going to want to take. His his book is, if you want to find every square inch of the trail, I'll tell you how to do it. And he did. And he did. <laughs> and he did in an excellent manner. Uh, and it just his his book and maps are amazing. I I guess this is uh, it's it's different. Uh, it's newer. It's in color. Uh, it tells about changes along the way. And there are just very few books on the Oregon Trail other than about history. Yeah, yeah. When did he write his? Oh goodness, um, I can't tell you when he first did it, but he revised it. Like you mean when he four wrote his times? Yeah. yeah. I he yeah he did revise it. And I can't remember when the last revision uh, occurred, but uh, it's it's an excellent book, and it's no longer in print. By the way, you'll you'll have to get it. Uh, you'll have to get it used or find a bookstore that might still have some new copies. Yeah. And what was it called again? The Oregon Trail Revisited. Interesting. Interesting. Now, it's been said that many who considered heading west on the Oregon Trail never did because they were worried about the cost and the the danger of the trip. And during the height of the westward um, immigration, someone once said that the cowards never started and the weak died on the way. Any idea how many people died trying to make the journey? You know, I really don't think they know. I, they've they've had estimates, and I think I can't remember. We we had what five to seven percent, or seven to eight percent. That, but different books have different numbers, and uh, most of the most of the graves are gone. They they were well when actually when someone died, they usually actually buried them under the trail so that the ground would be packed down and the animals or possibly the Indians wouldn't be able to or wouldn't know that they were there to dig them up. So there, there are there are some graves that are still around and that that's part of part of the uh landmarks along the trail but there are not a lot of them and mm-hmm. uh, most of the stones have been replaced or but in any case, it's still interesting to see because they, many of these people died out, and at that time it was really in the boondocks, and there there was no place to bury them other than to leave them right there. And, and um, a lot of females died, and, and yeah. some in childbirth, but not many in Indian attacks. But uh, cholera was was the real humbug of the trip for most of the people until they got to the. Uh, Fort Laramie, and then things got better f- from Fort Laramie on to the West Coast. Yeah, they always talk about the wagons, and of course, you went with, you were in the covered wagon, but the people were not in the covered wagon, except sometimes at night they might sleep in it. But basically, almost everybody that went walked. Um, the driver of the wagon would be about the only person that actually rode in the wagon, and sometimes they walked beside the animals and, and just led them. Yeah, yeah. There well, were well, no, 
no shock absorbers on those wagons. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get back to that in a minute. We're going to take a short break. We're talking today with uh, Kay and David Scott, uh, authors of a new book to the Oregon Trail, Exploring the Oregon Trail, America's Historic Road Trip. Listener and reader support make National Parks Traveler possible every day of the year. If you enjoy the Traveler's content, please consider a donation via nationalparkstraveler.org. Our partner, Interior Federal Credit Union, has given away over 2 million nickels since they started their nickel back program on their checking accounts. Learn how you can earn a nickel on your signature-based transactions at interiorfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. The Everglades Foundation, the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at evergladesfoundation.org. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Okay, we're back with David and Kay. You know, before the break, uh, David, you were talking about um, key graves along the way. I mean, there aren't that many left um, be, because of the, the way that graves were dealt with um, during the, the journey west. Um, there's one section in your book, and I don't know if it was um, near Scott's Bluff or whatnot. You said that the individual, the grave, uh, they put wooden planks on the bottom of the, the grave, and then they put the, the body on top of the planks, and then more planks on top of the, the body? Right. Right. Near, near the railroad, what would become the railroad tracks. Yeah, who was that? And then, and then they had to move it. We're not, we're not sure why it wasn't a box. It was just the planks, but uh, I'm not sure. So can, can you recall whose grave that was and, and where it was? That was Rebecca Winter's grave. It's just on the east side of Scott's Bluff. And, in fact, after they buried her, um, they actually wanted to put the railroad tracks very close to where she was. And so they got permission from the family to move the grave away <laughs> from the railroad tracks so people visiting wouldn't be in danger. And at wow. the grave, actually, they've put a little section of the old track. They left it there uh-huh. to show you to show where you it where it was. Wow. But uh, there, there's a lot around the Scotts Bluff area. That's one of our favorite places around there with the Robodeau Pass and, uh, and the uh, Scotts Bluff National Monument. It's just really a terrific area. Of course, not in December and January, but <laughs> in, in the summertime, yeah. You know, last last summer I got uh, the opportunity to visit Scotts Bluff for the first time, and it, it really is an overlooked gem of the national park system. I mean, you know, if you're coming out west and you're anywhere close, you have to detour to go visit Scotts Bluff because of the the Oregon Trail, the Oregon Trail history there, and um, William Henry Jackson. I mean, I had always heard of his name, but I never associated him with the Oregon Trail until I visited. Scotts Bluff National Historic Site, and found out that he was a bullwhacker. Yeah, he was. That's how he got started. We we have long thought that that uh, that Fort Laramie 
was one of the outstanding units of the National Park Service. Fort Laramie and Scott's Bluff. Oh, and Scott's yeah. Bluff, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's no, well, okay. They're both they're both cool. They're both, they are. Yeah. They and, both are outstanding. And you did you did uh, some podcasts from uh, both places. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, we're very knowledgeable. We follow you very closely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about Fort Laramie, and you probably came across this in your research. Uh, uh, a friend of mine equated Fort Laramie of the the, the mid to late eighteen hundreds as today's truck stop. Because you had so many people coming through there. I mean, you had the the wagon trains, you had the military, you had the um, the merchants, if you will, you had the fur trappers, you had the Native Americans right there. I mean, what a melting of cultures! They were all there. It was like Grand Central Station. It it certainly was, and and it was of course a a big part of the Oregon Trail that they almost everyone stopped there. They got supplies there. They rested there, and uh, it it and. We, our first trip there years ago, we had, when we were driving Volkswagen buses, uh, they had a, a rendezvous. We just happened to get there at the right time. And uh, we had the best time, uh, but I don't think they have it anymore. The people that did that have gotten older, and I think they don't have enough people to, to uh, have one any longer, which is a shame because it was really a great experience. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, along with resting there, I think that was also a point where they decided that we have too much junk in our wagon. We got to get rid of it because we're straining our oxen. Yes. They did. They got rid of it there. Yeah, they sure did. You know, and one of the the interesting um, points in your book, and there's so many interesting points. I mean, we could could go on for hours, but, you know, you talked about the, the, the Grattan Massacre. Now, for those who listeners who aren't familiar, the, the Groton Massacre was um, really just a, a few miles uh, east of Fort Laramie, where there was a, a, an encampment of Native Americans, and I think Sioux they were, and um, the military went out there because of a, a missing cow or something like that? Right. It was a missing right. cow, yeah. And <laughs> that it was roaming around, and the, uh, the tribe ate it. It was, they, it was, they, they took it. It was, it right. was, it was out roaming around. They took it and they took it back and uh, they cooked it and they and they used it for food. And uh, the fellow who lost the cow was really upset. So they, he sent the army out, got the army to go out, and, uh, and ended up in. Uh, right, they're not even sure who fired the first shot. Yeah, but but it ended up in a conflict, and a number of people died, and it's. Uh, Basically, and all the military, like yeah, the military died. Yeah, and so Fort Laramie um, was a resting spot, and um, I guess it gave people time to think if they really wanted to continue on or turn around, huh? I think some people turned around there. It, it was—I uh, can't remember how far it was from Independence, like seven hundred miles or something like that. I bet I, I'm not sure, but. Yeah, a lot of people gave up there. Not a lot, but a number gave up and, and turned around and and went back home. And uh, others that were going to continue rested, and they got to talk to other travelers that they that they didn't know. And so it was a it was a major point where uh, people came together on the trail before continuing on west. Probably more than any other spot on, along the Oregon Trail. Yeah, and of course not. Far from Fort Laramie are the the famous uh, Guernsey wagon wheel ruts. 
the Guernsey Rush. (laughs) We thought that was one of the most impressive things we've ever seen, with ruts up up a sandstone incline five, six feet deep that were cut by horse hooves and oxen hooves and wagon wheels and people walking. The uh, reason they had to all go through that one area, that one path, was because all around it was marshy. So they had to go up over this hill. And like David said, the ruts are like five feet deep. It's amazing. Yeah, so it was marshy on one side and the river was was there and they didn't have a choice. But it's really an, an impressive place. And it's uh, it's right near Register Cliff, which is uh, also impressive, where they still have a lot of pioneer signatures uh, along this sandstone cliff. Would you say that the the ruts there at Guernsey are the the most impressive ruts left along the the trail today? Definitely. Uh, there's really California Hill is a is a good rut also, but the Guernsey ruts are just kind of spectacular. You don't expect to see something like that in this narrow passage, and as deep as it is, it's amazing. And uh, along much of the trail, the the ruts have been filled in a little bit, and you have. Instead of ruts, you really have a swale or depression uh, from the original ruts that have have been filled in. But another area in uh, Idaho is Soda Springs, and north of town, the the golf course has uh, a swale, a long swale, uh, along one of the fairways. And the, the people at the golf course are really nice. It's never been busy when we've been there, but we ask them if we can go out and See the uh, see the ruts, see the swale. In fact, the first time we pulled in there, the golf pro came out and said, are "You here to golf, or are you here to see the swale?" <laughs> and we said, "Was is, is that okay if we walk out there?" He said, "Sure, just follow that line of follow that line of trees. I I think they're cottonwood trees, but I can't remember. It's pretty it's pretty coarse and uh, on a lake, and uh, it, it's evident where the wagons where all the wagons went." Mm-hmm. In fact, over the years we've gone there, they have changed the name from what I think it was Soda Springs Golf Club to uh, Oregon Trail Country Club. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wow. Right. Well, we're talking today with Kay and David Scott, uh, authors of a new book, Exploring the Oregon Trail, America's Historic Road Trip. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the national park system for decades to come. You can see their successes at gtnpf.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. 
Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Okay, we're back with David and Kay. Um, Wyoming, you you know you get past the Guernsey ruts, and then you, you you find yourself back on the plains, so to speak, and you know the middle of the state, um, approaching South Pass. You're on sagebrush plains that stretch for miles. You can see the Wind Rivers up to the north. And all of a sudden, you know, you're at the parting of the ways, which was, I guess, where the trail split, huh? It did split. And right. um, some went that were going to Oregon start, started heading west. And those, uh, it was, that was, at that point, it was still part of the Mormon Trail and California Trail also. And others headed down to Fort Bridger. And even people going to Oregon would often go to Fort Bridger, depending upon the state of the animals that were pulling their wagons and their need for supplies. But uh, Wyoming has a, it's a almost perfect state for preserving the ruts and swales of the trail because a lot of it is a federal land and uh, it's, it's in remote areas. And some of the some of the most beautiful parts of the trail actually are in Wyoming. They don't go through Wheatland, but <laughs> but, uh, but there's a there's a, a road west of uh, Casper. I, I can't remember the numbers three nineteen or. I think it is. And there, it's it's just there's almost nobody on this road. It's gravel, and I can't remember how far it runs. Maybe fifty miles. And uh, there are three main trail landmarks on it, and we were the only ones there. And I, I think I've told you this before, but even at South Pass, one of the most important locations in the history of the United States, we've been there three times now, and only one of the three times was there anyone else. There was a couple we could see in the distance, and we were the only ones there. And the last time we were, we stood at South Pass, we saw elk, uh, run not far from us, uh, male, female, and two uh, small ones, and uh, antelope. And uh-huh. we were there all by ourselves watching this. It was just amazing. That's one of the greatest parts about the Oregon Trail is it runs through remote areas where you can take time to really enjoy the things that are there without being disturbed by lots of people or vehicles. Yeah, it's almost like it was... Uh... 200 years ago, 150 years ago. And there, close close to South Pass, I believe, is a, a monument that somebody put up um, noting that Narcissa Prentice Whitman and Elizabeth Hart Spaulding were the first Wyoming to cross this pass on July 4th of 18, right. 1836. First white women. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's right there at South Pass, right at the kind of pinnacle. Uh, right next to Ezra Meeker's uh, right. rock monument of, of Oregon Trail. And uh, that's just about where the Continental Divide is. And the Continental Divide is, is so shallow at that point that uh, apparently a lot of pioneers didn't know they had actually crossed the, the Continental yeah. Divide because it was not like there was a big mountain there. You know, it's wide open. It's, it's, uh, I forgot how wide it is. But several wagons across, many wagons across could travel the same, at the same time. And so they didn't, it wasn't like a narrow mountain pass that they had to get through. 
That's why they didn't realize that they crossed the until they saw the water running to the west instead of... Of course, you know this, Kurt, because I saw a picture of your Subaru there. <laughs> that, that Yes. <laughs> because there's a section there where you can actually drive your car if it's a, a tough four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive Subaru Outback. You can drive it along the Oregon Trail. I mean, not on top of the Oregon Trail, but alongside of it. And um, right. You're right. Uh-huh. It, it, it's quite an adventure. It is. It's a great adventure. This, that's uh, standing there at the at South Pass is, I think, one of the highlights of the entire trip. In each case, we were on the trail about three weeks, I think, and that I think you need three weeks to do the whole trail. And if you only want to do part of it, you can stop at Fort Bridger around Fort Bridger in in southwestern. Wyoming and uh, tool on down to Salt Lake City and fly back home and then come back the next year and do the rest of the trail. But And another thing I should mention is, is it's much better to travel from east to west than west to east. And you get, the, you get a better feel for what the pioneers were doing when you go through the plains before you get to the mountains and mm-hmm. uh, get to the Columbia River. Where would you say are must stops along the Oregon Trail. If, if somebody doesn't have the time or, or doesn't want to spend the time traversing the whole 2,147 miles or whatever it is, are, are there key sections? I mean, I think Fort Laramie would be one of them, but uh, where else would you suggest they stop? Up? We've talked about Scott's Bluff also, that western part of Nebraska. Right. That would be a, a definite. Um, Fort Bridger, and then... Um, also, the Pocatello area is, is kind of interesting. There are lots of things that happened in that that spot. And then best best museums that stand out? Okay. The museums, you've got uh, in Independence, there is the uh, National Frontier Trail Center. They have just a wonderful display of, of the tr- not just the Oregon Trail, but other trails. And then um, in Idaho is the in, uh, thing, Mount Pelier, uh-huh. the National Oregon slash California Trail Center. And there they actually uh, they do reenactments, and you're part of it when you go through. So you sit at a campfire, and the the wagon master talks to you about what's happened during the day, and and uh, different things like that. They have uh, show you different things that a wagon probably carried. And the Casper, Casper the National is, Historic Trails Interpretive Center. It's a BLM operation, and it's, it sits high on a hill uh, outside of town. And uh, I mean, you can spend easily spend a half a day there. And people that. That the great thing is the people that work at these places they love the trail and they and they uh, really helpful in answering questions we had we had we were worried about one particular road going down in our rental vehicle and we needed to ask if we could do it or we needed a four wheel drive high clearance vehicle and they said no you'll be that. That would, that's also, but the the single best place, although it's closed right now for renovations, is the is the Interpretive Center in Baker City, Oregon. It's 
it's outstanding. And I, I think most people would agree that it's probably the best of, of all of them. It That's also sat, or sits high on a hill, and it was kind of built up, and they had major problems with the wind, <laughs> if you can hmm. imagine. Hmm. So the wind even got under the building and destroyed many of their uh, electrical things. And the insulation all blew out. Yeah. And, but uh, you, you stand up there on Flagstaff Hill, and you can look down, the trail ran right by there, and you can look down and see the trail. In fact, they have a walking path from the top of the hill down to the where the trail ran. But the, the pioneers, that was a point where they could see the Blue Mountains mm-hmm. in, in uh, Oregon. And uh, that would be the last, one of the last major obstacles they faced. But it also offered them uh, water and offered them greenery, trees, and uh, they were fortunate to to have that to look forward to. And it, it wasn't like crossing uh, at, at Wyoming where they basically they didn't have any water for dozens and dozens of miles at some points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I know at um, Scott's Bluff they've got some uh, replica wagons, Conestoga wagons, that you can peer into. Anywhere else along the the route where they they have replica wagons, so you can really get a sense of the the scale of wagon. Uh, Baker City, they have a, a circle of wagons right outside the museum, and also in in uh, Fort Laramie, they've got a couple wagons that you can get there. But probably the best are um, in Scotts Bluff because they also have they have replica animals that mm-hmm. pulled them. I think mm-hmm. when we were there last time, they had some out for renovation, didn't they? They were. They were being cows. The oxen weren't there because they were, they were being repainted, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's a great area. And and the wagons, it's 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 good to see the wagons. To see, they're, they're not the wagons that many people believe. They're were. not the kind of stogas. No, no. They, those the were too ones. heavy. You know, uh, one other thing we kind of overlooked, David and Kay, is the Oregon Trail was also used by the Pony Express. Correct. It, it was. The, the, the Pony Express, although the Oregon Trail, most people consider it to leave from uh, Independence, and the uh, Oregon Trail and the Pony Express left from St. Joe. But they pretty much followed one another out west. They followed the, followed the Platte, and then they followed the North Platte. Um, the Pony Express broke away a little bit from the main trail around Julesburg in Colorado and crossed in the, uh, a different point in the river, which became a, a later cross in the Oregon Trail also. But, yeah, and then they cut away and went to, uh, toward San Francisco later across Nevada. But, yeah, the Oregon Trail, the California Trail, the Mormon Trail, um, and the Oregon Trail, uh, especially through one of the best sections of of the trail the uh, one of the ones i i really like best i'm i'm not sure if kay does but uh i love the drive across nebraska uh, from uh, fort carney which is is where they hit the platte river when they when they came up through kansas and then came up through the lower part of of nebraska and uh, there's there's a state park at area south of fort carney uh, rock creek Park State Historical Park. I can't remember something like that, but Rock Creek Station. Rock Creek Station I'm sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, where they they had some 
um, that's where uh, Billy the Kid. No, it wasn't Billy the Kid. Oh no, did I mess up? You did. It wasn't. It wasn't Billy. It was Wild Bill Hickok. Oh. He, that's where he he became known as a, a gunslinger, and uh, it's a it's a great it's a great park. But they came up to Fort Kearney, and then they followed the followed the Platte and the North Platte West, and that road goes by some of the most beautiful country I think, but some people I I'm sure wouldn't agree, but. Driving west on that road and seeing those monuments on the south side, Jail Rock, uh, Rock. Chimney Jail Rock, Rock. Uh, that, just great. And then you cross the river at Ash Hollow, which is a, a beautiful place where the pioneers camped, and you cross, you cross the Platte, get on the north side of the Platte, and then you go west and um, go into Scotts Bluff. It's just a gorgeous country. It's a great trip. You could you could do it. That would be a good trip just on its own. One of the great things of following the Oregon Trail is, as there are not many people do it, there are no crowds anywhere. And uh, you go through small towns. The people the are nice. The traffic is easy. It, yeah, it's easy to get through the towns, places to park, places to stop, places to picnic. And often you'll be by yourself or with maybe a couple of people. The museums aren't crowded. The interpretive centers aren't crowded. And uh, it makes, and I think part of this is because I've become older and I don't like crowds as much, but it it is one of the most pleasant trips you can take. And it's about 2,100 miles of driving. The easy way to do it is to fly to Kansas City and, rent a car and, and drop it off in Portland and then fly home, depending on where you live, of course. But um, it makes for a terrific road trip. And of all, we've driven across the country from the south to the north. We drove to Alaska. We've been up and down the east coast and the west coast, and there's nothing like this that I remember. Wow. Well, David and Kay, thanks so much for joining us today and, and talking about your new book and, and really getting into some of the details of the Oregon Trail. It really is a, a unique um, unit of the National Park System and, and one that, uh, I mean, you can you can live across 2,100 miles of the United States and, and probably get to a section of the Oregon Trail without too much effort. I think so. And yeah, you don't have to do the whole thing. Just do it in pieces or take advantage of a hundred miles of it and uh, enjoy yourself especially the interpretive centers yeah they're, they're good they're, the, they're good and and they're glad to have you there they appreciate your interest in the trail uh, every place we stopped was the same the people were friendly and helpful and uh, would like for us to have stayed longer yeah yeah well thanks so much for joining me today yeah enjoyed it thank you for your I interest appreciate it thanks That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Do you have a favorite national park that you'd like to learn more about for an upcoming visit or a topic you think we should explore? Drop us a line at the Traveler in the comment section attached to this podcast on nationalparkstraveler.org, and we'll work on a podcast about that park or topic. For the Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks.
The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park Audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Park's Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.